Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Showing all humility to all men. 
For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject the device of man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped in sin, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis to you, or Titus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may back up. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me, greet you, greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Grass withers the flower fades, the word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this is our final sermon on this sermon series. We've been looking at how shall we live. And we'll come back to it in the coming weeks, honestly, if we never uh, falls short uh, the gospel and how we're to live in custody. But um, next week is Reformation Sunday, so we'll probably have a theme on that. The week after that is just before the election, and then we'll address that. And then we're into the Thanksgiving and then the Advent Let's look back uh, and we'll walk through each of these verses. Titus 3, verse 1, first of all. Starts out rather abruptly if you're, if you're going by chapter grace, which we have been. Uh, so you almost need to look back a few verses to see what's been going on. Paul is reminding Titus of the things he needs to teach to the church. right? And he's reminding him also of the grace of God. We see in chapter 2, verse 11. And so he's kind of going back and forth. We'll come back to this. He's going back and forth between the gospel and teaching people what they need to do and how to live because of the gospel. Goes back to the gospel. Goes back to how to live back to the gospel. So it's kind of a weave like that that Paul is doing. Well, let's look directly at verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey. Obey the government is what Paul is telling Titus to teach the church here. And I'm going to, as I often do, I. I try not to preach to the choir too much. So when I when I kind of have a sense of the way we tend to react to this verse, I'm going to preach and lean against that a bit and say and give a bit more of a challenge than I disagree with the general sense we have of this. Obey the government. This means not just when the government repeats what the, uh, what God says, right? We, we can overly limit the authority of government, thinking. I only have to obey the state if they tell me to do something that God has already told me to do. And that's not the case. Okay? And that's what Paul is getting at here, I mean, in part at least. 
we need to be subject to the government when they give their own rules too, beyond the word of God. I'm saying I'm never start later, never directly, on purpose. Let me give you an example. You want to drive 55 right now, but the sign says 35. We can't just say, well, I judge that to be unreasonable and beyond the word of God, so I can disregard it. Right? That's, that's one example. We can't say that kind of thing, no. But now, when they give rules that go against God's law, think of Daniel chapter 6, right? Darius tells Daniel, tells the whole kingdom, he can only pray to Darius. Well, then we disregard it. Daniel goes up into his house and opens up a window and flagrantly uh, violates that meaning of the law. Okay. But then we explain, you know, like Daniel's friends do in chapter 3 of Daniel, right? When Nebuchadnezzar tells him to bow down to the idol, tells the whole kingdom. And, and, and Daniel's friends, they explain with gentle patience, with honor, how we cannot bow down to your idol. So uh, there are times for that. But the general rule is obey the government. Respect the authority of the policeman, the congressman, the judge, and the president. In our democracy, that all of those offices, they're meant to serve us. Yes. But that does not make the people the sole authority. Even, I would say, if our founding documents assert that. No, we, we give them offices of authority. And more importantly, Romans 13 says they are God's ministry to do good. So, obey authority. Uh, one of the commentaries I read this week had a great line in about this. And it connects us back to the last verse of chapter 2. Right? What does Paul tell us? Tells us, speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Right? Titus has real authority in the church. Authority, just like the state has authority, isn't absolute. But Titus has authority in the church. The state has authority in the civil realm. So the commentary theory said this If Christians respect only the authority with which they agree, or that does not trouble them, then the minister of the gospel who must correct, rebuke, and exhort will soon have no authority. I thought that was a great point. We need to be very careful with that. Let me just press that point home to each of us individually. Are you here in this church? Are you here only because I say what you like to hear about COVID or abortion or wokeness or any other pet topic? Is that why you're here? I hope it's bigger than that. I hope that you're here because you generally trust that the whole Word of God is going to be brought to bear rightly on your life. And that's a critical distinction. We don't want to just accept authority because it's saying what we want to hear. We accept authority because we sense that it's coming from the Lord. So that's, it. that's critical. If Titus is going to be with authority, authority needs to be respected. But if we only do what the authority says we want to, We've undercut all authority except our own. What's the point of listening to preaching if you're just going to hear what you want to hear? What's the point of being a citizen in the same regard? Isn't the point uh, in, in, in coming to the Word of God partly to be convicted, to have God's Word shape your thoughts? Just like when you want to try to 55, 
but the sign, the right sign on the side says 35. That's going to shape your thoughts. And that's okay. But we, we buck against that. We don't like the same shaping our thoughts. But there is a certain level of legitimacy to that. So, obey the government. Verse 3, Paul gives an answer why. We got that little word that full power right Four. Why do we have to obey the government? Well, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts. This is a rather interesting, unexpected answer as to why we need to obey the government. That they're trying to solve societal problems from a place of lostness. Most of them, especially in Paul's day, they're not regenerate believers. And they're trying to they're trying to manage society without the source of truth. And we ought to know what that's like. We've been there. So, so help those in public office to do their job as much as you can. That may at times mean asking them questions that lead them to greater wisdom. Praying for them. But Paul's point is we need to interact with the state with a level of humility because you used to be like them yourself. Or if you have a word, you don't mind faith all your life. It's the old phrase, there but for the grace of God the lie. But that might have been me. That living in hopelessness like that, with problems to solve, responsible for other people, and you don't have the truth. So work to give them the truth. Uh, work in, in sympathy in that regard as much as you can. Another reason Paul gives is verse 4, and this here gets to the core of the, the text today. When the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us. That humility that Paul talks about in verse 2, showing all humility to all men. So, so there's kind of two reasons for that humility. One is, you could be just as lost as them apart from God's grace. And the second reason why we need that humility is, you've been given God's grace. You've been saved. And he was coming and loving to send us Jesus and the verses that Jesus is who we needed. The Spirit washed us, regenerated us, renewed us. Verse 5. That notice each person of the Trinity is mentioned here in this quick summary of the Gospel. This is why we read from Joel 3 as well. The Spirit poured out upon all of God's people. Joel prophesied. And then it happens at Pentecost. It's continuing to happen as God uh, brings more and more people into this kingdom through the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. And none of this was because we deserved it. God just had mercy. Not by the works that we had done. Verse 5. Romans 8 hammers this as way I read that as well. Uh, we're, we're convicted by the law. We're, we're, we're brought up short. We know that we have sinned and fallen short. Yeah, but it's apart from the law and righteousness God has given in Christ that we've been justified. Justified by His grace. That was Martin Luther's main doctrine. That's what Reformation Sunday is all about. We'll get next week. But also beyond that, verse uh, the end of verse 7, that we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's just wonderful to include in the summary of the gospel. Usually we think of a summary of the gospel in the Atonement, justification. That's it. Jesus paid it all. And that is the core. 
But usually when the scripture summarizes the gospel, it goes into a bit more than that. There's something about the spirit working in us, there's something about being heirs of the hope of eternal life. And looking forward in that hope is critical to our identity. That's who we are. We're not only a washed people, a people who have a sigh of relief because we look back and we think those sins are done away with. That's one half of our identity. The other half is looking forward and hope to what God is going to do in this life, in our lives, and also in the eternal life. So, just to, just to camp on this for a second, keep the main thing the main thing. This is the main thing. Verses 4 through 7, right here. We often think about the main thing being what's most interesting to us. Probably verse 1 in this passage. That's how I came to this chapter. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to verse 1. The main thing is verses 4 through 7. Uh, I just want you to know, I mean, here's all my, my emotional weight in this sermon right here. My greatest concern when I'm writing these sermons day by day, when I'm preaching them like I am now, is that I'm not impressing on you enough that this, verses 4 through 7, this gospel, this is the jewel beyond all price. The grace of God to you in Jesus. This is the keystone to all that we think of you. The good news that we are set right with God by His grace, by faith alone. This is the core. And the Bible talks about a lot of other things, and I want to get to them all, and I want to preach through the Word, verse by verse. But my concern is that the quantity of time I spend on the core gospel is not enough to impress on you. This is the main thing. This is it. Grace of Christ. It's the engine that drives the car. It's, it's the heart that pumps your blood. You know, you think about the heart analogy. Your, your body does a lot of important things, right? You cook a meal for a church friend. You do a school lesson. But you're not going to do anything with your body. Without a beating heart inside. That's the gospel. That's what we're doing here. So again, look at the context. Think, of, think back to chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Paul has this long list of all these things that he wants Titus to teach the church, right? Have them do these things. Make sure that they're living this way. And then verse 11 to 14 of chapter 2. Why? Because gospel. That's why. Verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation. And verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious period. And then he goes back again in our text, in the first three verses of our text. Remind them to do these things. Be this way. Act this way. Why? Verse 4 through 7. Because the gospel. That's the main thing. I thought this analogy just this morning. I don't know if it's a good one. It's, it's going to be imperfect, I know. But think of a baseball game. Think of a, a, a base runner, right? He gets the first base. You know how they always beat off the base a little bit, right? And then the, the idea is that they're, they're leaving off because maybe they can get to the next base sooner, right? Well, when we go to do good works, that's kind of what we do. We're leaving off of the base. The base is the gospel, right? And, and leading off can take us to bad places. We get kicked off. When we go to do good works, it's what we're supposed to do. But, you know, we're supposed to advance to the next base. But it can lead us to bad places. 
And we do good works that can lead us to pride of heart. They can lead us to despair that we aren't doing enough. They can lead us to the wrong priority that thinks that this isn't anything that we're doing. We always need to return to base when we're safe. That's the key. That's what, that's what weekly worship is about. We run through the basic gospel here every week. Every week, it's like we're returning to the base. Right? You're a sinner, so we confess our sins. We hear God forgive us, teach us, and invite us to full fellowship with the meditate. It's the basic gospel story every week. So that's the core of this passage. Let's just look at the last few verses and then we'll be done. Verse 8 through and 14. Verse 8 and 14, I should say. Uh, notice what uh, Paul does next, something that we would find in contradictory sometimes. He says, this is a faithful saying, uh, make sure that, these, that those who have believed in God are careful to maintain good works. And in verse 14, he comes back to it. Let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. Uh, I forget which... Uh, I was laying and spraying this morning, talking about being fruitful, right? You think about childbearing, right? There's a fruitfulness in our lives that comes from good works. It's not simply, it's not reduced only to childbearing, but that's part of it. And we do good works, and we're fruitful for God all the time. And that's God's design for us to do the basis. And at each base, we come back to the gospel. So that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, maintain good works. Though you are not saved by them. Right? And it's not the good works that save you, but, but do them because that's what you're designed to do. And again, you look back at chapter 2 and see uh, Paul's referring back to those kinds of things. The young men to be sober minded, the uh, young women to love their husbands, and so on. So Paul is, uh, almost at the same time, asserting the gospel, the main thing is the grace that's come to us apart from anything we did. And then in the very next verse, he says, make sure that you do good things. That's our goal. Now, verse 9 through 11, uh, Paul calls for order in the church as well as order in the state. Right? Be peaceful uh, to uh, the government and make sure that there's peace in the church. Avoid foolish disputes, he says, verse 9. Foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions. The context here seems to be uh, Jews discussing scripture or oral tradition. And the clue there is the genealogies and the strivings about the law. Probably that's the context, is Jews amongst them uh, who are used to arguing according to their oral tradition. Paul grew up with this, and I've had a bit of a taste of it through the, the teaching of Ray Daniel. Uh, he uh, was my tour guide in Israel decades ago. And he went to Jerusalem University in New York City as a student. And one of his jobs there was to be the elevator guy. Kind of being the elevator guy. Well, the Jews had decided, this is the Orthodox Jewish community, that it's unlawful on the Sabbath to push elevator bars. Because that's work. That's doing work. You're causing a spark, you're causing, and it's, yeah, I think it's really back to the, the verse, uh, don't light a fire on the set. So no pushing buttons that are going to cause some electricity that are going to make some machine work. So that was their rule. But if there's a Gentile there that will do it for them, that's fine. And so Ray was that was the Rohini, the Gentile guy, who would be on the other hand and push the buttons to reduce 
And that's kind of the yellow light of caution there. Right behind it. Now, there, there are most churches, bigger churches, most groups, Christian groups, they have subgroups within them that get together to focus on various things. Right? You might have a prayer meeting, you might focus on politics, maybe there's a choir, right? That kind of dynamic is funny to have groups within the church that are focused on certain things. But when it gets hostile, or when a small group gets to thinking, everybody must be emphasizing this, or they're not a faithful Christian. When you're thinking, the leadership must be emphasizing this, or they're bad shepherds. Then you've got a red light of trouble that you need to stop. Warn them twice, then reject them, Paul says. There's a certain level of leniency there. Give them a few warnings, even as we're agitating against you. But if they're not going to listen, stay away. Don't associate. The word shun can be used to translate that. Don't give them the time of day. You need to be clear on what the priorities, what the identity of the Christian community is. That's called that take on these devices men. It seems to refer to those back in chapter 1, verse 10, and insubordinate idol-talkers. So if he's dealing with this, he knows Titus is dealing with this. The church, the modern church today, is doing this. Well, let's conclude this exposition here, verses 12 and 14. Here you have a typical thing at the end of Paul's letters where he's talking about the rest of his team and what's going on. Uh, great dreams and grace among Christians in verse 15. So here you have a, a window that runs into Paul's team. This is why I would have to read from Luke 8, which is a much overlooked text in Luke 8. Uh, Jesus had the same thing in his birth ministry. You see it there. The 12 were with him. And then he also mentions, I think it's three uh, named women and many others who provided for him from their substance, it says. You have to ever think about that. You just, all the pictures we see in the movies of, you know, that, we, that we repeat the, the Gospels, it's always Jesus and the twelve. No, there's actually other women and other people with him. There's a whole team in entourage going on there. And Paul uh, repeated that pattern. And here you have Artemis and Zenos, the lawyer, those two we know nothing about. And they're only mentioned here in the Bible. Just no clue. But they're part of Paul's team. He's two men that he sometimes sends various places. Tychus, Tychicus has mentioned a few other places. He sends him other places. Well, Paulus is an interesting one. Uh, I'm not sure, but Paulus is the guy, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 3 and maybe at the end of the chapter, that he wrote the letter. Paulus was the one who uh, was a powerful preacher. Uh, many of the Corinthians were tended to be drawn to follow Paulus more than Christ of his great speaking. And he, and you're in the Corinthians, I didn't look this up, so I'm hesitating there. But Paul says at one point, um, Apollos didn't want to, want to come when I asked him to, but he'll come when he wants to. It's that kind of reference. It's like, Apollos wasn't really working with Paul very much there in the early days and early first Corinthians. Here in Titus, this is a letter dated much later. And it's interesting that now Apollos seems to be on Paul's team. So there seems to be some progression there, I think, some, some maturation on Apollos' part to not just be a one-man show, uh, to not just uh, have a big head because he was a, a, a good speaker, but to work together with a team. And that's important for us to remember that in the body of Christ as well. 
So uh, there you have Paul's team, and uh, he's writing again to Titus. And the summary here is he tells them, obey the government, be gentle to all, because you were saved from your foolishness. Do good, but don't trust that doing the good to save you. Keep the church peaceful, be working together, be in fellowship. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thanks for your word. We thank you that you've given us this window of life, Paul's ministry, Titus's ministry, and how it's a foundation stone for us as the church today, how we are to relate to one another, set your church in order. Lord, we do pray that you would grant us that privilege, that provide us with that gift of being a church that is uh, functioning as a body smoothly and effectively. We ask Heavenly Father for uh, leadership, and we ask that you give us uh, willing hearts to serve when we see that it's needed. Help us, Lord, to pitch in, to uh, give a, a word of encouragement or a challenge in conversation together. Lord, all these things are the body doing its part. We pray that you would build us up in the faith together, that you would help us to see one another more and more as we look each other in the eye uh, in our times of fellowship, in our times of communion, to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and to love one another. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's 
C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings. Blessings.